0: on the Google Play or App Store, or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today.
1: Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam, can help your engine run better and last longer you simply pour a can into your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season so pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more
0: welcome to the wired to hunt podcast your home for deer hunting news stories and strategies And now, your host, Mark
1: Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 176. And today, we've got another Rut Radio episode in which we're getting updates from hunters across the country about current deer behavior and activity, conditions, and the tactics that are working right now. And we also have a bonus Follow up interview with Don Higgins, who earlier this year on the podcast told us he was going to kill a 200 inch buck, and now he's done it. All right, welcome to another episode of the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And we're back here today with another one of our rut radio episodes, which we're doing every week throughout the hunting season. And as you likely know, each week during the Rut Radio episode, we are checking in with a handful of hunters from across the country to get real-time updates on what's happening right now. So what kind of deer behavior, what kind of conditions, how are these things impacting deer behavior? Um, all that kind of good stuff. And then we're also talking to people about, you know, hey, what are you trying now? What's working, what's not, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's what we've been doing so far for the last, I don't know, four, four or five weeks or something like that. And now at least in my mind it's getting even more exciting because the the rut part of the rut radio is going to start kind of showing up here in the coming days as we're heading into that pre-rut time period um I know I'm getting a little bit uh a little bit pumped up and excited I got to believe the bucks are slowly getting a little more pumped up and excited um what about you Spencer are you there too
2: I am there and uh like you said with the the bucks, I think the best evidence was on my trail cameras this last week. Um, oh, yeah? Started having a little bit of buck activity on some scrapes on, like, the 7th, 8th, 9th, and then we hit the 11th through the 13th, and all of a sudden, it was seven different bucks on those three nights that were checking the scrapes, and so it is definitely that time of year.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been seeing the same thing. I checked trail cameras on one of my main Michigan properties. Um at the end of last week, over the weekend kind of, and same thing. There's been some more activity in the scrapes. I've noticed a lot of a lot of new scrapes popping up as I was driving through the woods. Um, all the mock scrapes that I've created are now freshened up by actual deer, seeing rubs out there in the whole nine yards. And even um, I've been hunting public land over the last week, and lots of scrapes back in there too, back in the cover. So we're definitely ramping up. That's an exciting exciting thing to see. I think the best the best is still ahead of us, so um, I'm excited to hear about what people are seeing around the country though I'm, I'm i'm interested to see if if what I've been kind of experiencing is the same as everybody else or not um so before I ask you for my little preview that I usually like to try to get from you though Spencer um I just want to note that for anyone listening, if you're not already aware. We are gonna have a little bit of a different episode today because we're gonna throw in a little bonus story. Um, if you're, if you'll allow me, Spencer, since since you are the man in, in control of the show here, if you'll allow me, I want to toss in a bonus story from Don Higgins. W- will you allow that?
2: Uh, I will, because I loved listening to it, and I think everyone else will too. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So, so for those who have listened to the Wired Hunt podcast this summer. We had Don on on episode 164, and he talked about how he was targeting two different potential 200-inch bucks this year, and um, he had a really in-depth game plan for how he was going to get it done, and he felt particularly confident when he was tar- talking about one of the bucks he was after named Smoky. and just a couple days ago... Don made his prediction come true and he killed this 200 class buck in Illinois and he joins us today on this episode of the rut radio to tell us how that all happened how he got that done so a um, little bonus here on our rut radio I'm excited about that but what else do we have in store because in a second here you know once we get our little chit chat out of the way we can drop it over to Don but then what's our regular episode gonna um, gonna have for us today?
2: Well, we drop down to Mississippi and talk to Kyle Bennett with QDMA. And then we go to the great state of South Dakota and talk to Jake Gregis <laughs> from Daybreak Ranch. Then we have Nick Kravitz in Pennsylvania with Flatline Whitetails. And then we talk to Josh McDaniel from Tree in Indiana.
1: Awesome. Was there, since you've listened to all those people, is there any common consistency or anything that kind of across the board you've noticed is, is worth noting?
2: Um, I guess one would be the weather. That seems like it is the trump card right now. If we have a front, uh, you want to be there and hunting. And that's the time to maybe be a little more aggressive. If not, if you haven't had the weather or if you haven't been able to hunt those fronts yet, uh, then still just sit back and be patient. The other one I would say is the changing in food sources, and that being, uh, you know, the artificial food sources as far as agriculture. The soybeans are coming out right now. Uh, The corn is coming out in a lot of areas. The sunflowers are coming out. Um, So that is changing some things as far as where the deer are bedding and obviously where they're feeding. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. And I think to your first point, when it comes to the fronts, I mean, if you've listened to this year's series of Rut Radio episodes, I think we've talked about that on every single episode, and it's just a another reaffirmation of how important these cold fronts are. And every time one passes through the country, you see a spike in, in buck kills, at least as far as what I've seen on, like, on my social media and just my, my own personal network. I know this last front that came through for a lot of people, at least in the Midwest, it hit kind of this past Sunday and Monday, and you saw a lot of big deer hit the ground. Like like we said, Don Higgins killed one during that front. Um, another well-known TV guy out there, Lee Likoski, killed a giant during that front. A bunch of other people I just personally know or that I saw on Facebook and stuff, same deal. So I am looking forward to the next front, um, which will be hitting for us here in Michigan next like eh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere on there. looks like Tuesday might be the first really good day, um, at least for where I'm at in southern Michigan. This weekend, this coming weekend, Saturday, Sunday, it's going to be the 70s. But by Tuesday, it's going to be down into the fifties, and all the way down into the forties on Wednesday. Um, so I couldn't ask for any better conditions, as far as I'm concerned, for that last week in October. When you already got that pre-rut ramp up, and then you get a cold front, I think it's just going to be
2: awesome. So I'm I'm as excited as I could possibly be for next week. Yeah, it's going to be fun, uh, but pretty soon that stuff won't matter, and you know the rut is going to rule all. Yeah, that's true. Just got to be in the woods then. I'm going to cut you off, Mark, because let's get to this interview of Don Higgins. Good call. Talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Spencer.
1: All right. So we've got Don Higgins now on the phone with a little special mini interview here because, Don, you, you've had some, you got some good news to share, don't you?
3: Yeah. I was able to fill one of my Illinois uh, buck tags, and uh, it was a buck that I've had my eyes on, so yeah. I'm pretty happy at the moment.
1: Yeah, I'd say that that might be an understatement. Um I guess it was back in August, I think, when you were on the Wired Hunt podcast with us, episode number 164. We spent a ton of time <clears throat> talking about this buck that you were after that you call Smoky. And I think if I remember right, you said that you thought you had a 95% chance of killing that buck. Um and I think a lot of people probably thought, wow, this guy is maybe a little overconfident, you know, being able to kill a potentially 200-inch type buck um and being that sure of it. But uh you made it happen. How does it feel to have major prediction come true? Mm-hmm.
3: Well, actually, it kind of feels like a relief because to be honest, after I I did the podcast and I got to I listened to it and got to thinking about it, I thought, man, that guy sounds just a little bit uh, arrogant and overconfident like you said. <laughs> Uh, then I started sweating and I'm like, really, is it really going to happen? So, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was kind of a relief when it did, but
1: yeah, I bet. Um, and it, and just plain exciting yeah, too, I um, bet.
3: Yeah. I'll probably never make that kind of prediction again, but smoky just happened to be a buck that I knew really, really well. So, you know, that's why I was so confident. And at the same time we talked about the other buck I'm after Trump and how I thought I only had about a 10% chance uh with him and to be honest uh now I think my chances of killing Trump are about uh, 1% instead of 10 I think they've gone down instead of up oh man but uh, that's a different story for a different day probably that's a bummer
1: but uh but smokey yeah. smokey it's 100% cuz he's on the ground now um so would you be willing to share with us you know, what because we heard about what your plan was heading into the season. Um, but I, w- I would be interested to hear how you actually executed on that up to this point. So, did you hunt him multiple times up to this point, or was this the first time you went in after him, or how did things actually play out over the course of October leading up to the final successful kill?
3: Well, I had one, uh, actually elevated blind, it wasn't even a tree stand. It was an elevated blind, enclosed blind that I thought I could kill him just from past history. And I needed a North, a Northwest or a straight West wind to hunt that blind. And all we got was uh, straight South winds for the first 10 days of the season. So I wasn't even able to hunt for smoky for 10 days. And then on October 11th, I was able to slip in and I had the, uh, a cameraman with me, Kyle Harmon from Team Radical Outdoors, uh, doesn't live all that far from me and volunteered to come and, and film anytime I was after Smokey because I was so confident in, in getting a shot at him. And awesome. So on the 11th, Kyle shows up for the first hunt and, uh, I knew the buck liked a bed in a patch of uh, real world switchgrass. I've got a, let's see, three, four different patches of, of native grasses on my property. And uh, there was one particular patch that's probably about, uh, uh, I'm going to guess, 10 acres in size. And the dominant bucks on my property really like to bed in that patch. It's just kind of centrally located, and it doesn't get pressure, uh, and they'll just stay in there for, uh, you know, year-round. It doesn't matter if it's summer or winter. And I'd seen Smoky come out of that patch a few times this summer whenever I would glass in the evenings he wouldn't come out early. I mean, I was trying to get some video footage of him in velvet and he just wouldn't cooperate at all. He wouldn't step out until it was past a good camera light. But I did see him three or four times. So I knew he was, he was right there where he's always been. And then on September 11th, the the first hunt, sure enough, he steps out of that grass, but you know, again, it's, It's still shooting light and still good camera light, but it's fading fast. And he stepped out at about 80 yards into a clover fire break and he could have went one or two directions either right to us or right away from us. And unfortunately he went the other direction, but Kyle happened to get some really good footage of him that evening and got him working a scrape as well as a couple other bucks working the scrape. Nice. So, you know, we knew he was, he was right there. Uh, had him in our lap. It was just a matter of waiting for the right conditions to come back and do it again, so we didn't get another west or northwest wind until the fifteenth, which was sunday evening i uh, had had a cold front come through on Saturday. I was outside working and it was like in the mid eighties i mean I was literally sweating and uh then on sunday it it was in the mid fifties, so you know it dropped about thirty degrees and uh had a little rain shower come through uh, early Sunday morning and, and then Sunday evening, uh, you know, the, the wind blew pretty hard Sunday, but, uh, it started laying, uh, as it got closer to, to dusk. And, uh, you know, we was sitting there in the blind and we wasn't seeing the deer activity that we had seen on the 11th, um, had just three or four does and fawns come out and they were feeding in the clover and such, but, uh, we, we hadn't seen another buck. And then, I was getting towards, uh, you know, quitting time. And I asked Kyle, I said, uh, how much more shooting light do we have left? Or how many more, uh, minutes for you to get good footage? And he checked his camera and he says, well, we probably got 15 minutes of, of shooting light anyway. And so I'm thinking we're not going to see anything. Uh, there was still a little bit of wind and I, I figured that's what had the deer, um, uh, you know, hold up and, there probably wouldn't be good activity until Monday when the, we were supposed to still have a good wind. We'd just come back the next day and, and get a hunt. our odds would be a lot better, but I'd no more ask Kyle about how much more shooting light we had left and I, I turned and looked out the prairie grass and I see the grass moving, you know, not moving from the wind, but moving something that was moving through it uh, coming right towards us, and uh right in front of the blind is a real world deadly dozen food plot. And they'd been hitting that pretty hard as well. So there was a deer, single deer, it looked like, coming through that prairie grass right towards the food plot in front of us. But that grass is so tall, you know, I couldn't really see what it was. I got my binoculars out, and I could see antler tips kind of mixed in with that prairie grass. And, uh, and then finally, he got up close enough where I could see that it was him. I seen those deep forks on those G2s, and I, I whispered to Kyle, that's him, and He stepped out of the prairie grass probably, you know, 30 to 40 yards from us, and uh, uh, he stepped into the deadly dozen plot and took a a few bites of uh, some of those plants, and he started working down along the edge of the plot, and uh, he happened to stop 25, 30 yards from the blind, and just a perfect opportunity for for me to shoot, so I, I sent an arrow through him, and uh, he, he took off bounding away down the uh, the Clover fire break, and he stopped out at about, I don't know, 60, 70 yards from our blind, and he didn't run all that far, really, and and he stopped and looked back, and when he did, uh, you know, Kyle was running the camera, and I grabbed the binoculars real quick, and, and you could just see blood pouring out of him, uh, and and then he, he was, like, licking his, his lips and his nose with his tongue, just real fast, and and then he started to tip back like they do when they're going to fall, and mm-hmm. and as he started to tip back, then he just kind of crashed off to the side into the prairie grass, and we knew he was down. So wow. it uh, it really, from the time I first seen him coming through the grass until he dropped was probably uh, uh, I'm going to guess less than two minutes. Jeez, <laughs> it, it happened real quick. So, uh, but you know, Kyle captured it all on film, and as well as the, the previous hunt, so. But that footage will be airing somewhere. I'm just not sure exactly where yet. That's
1: awesome. What What was going yeah. through your mind or what were you feeling when you finally walked up on him after all these years of watching this deer and thinking about him and planning for it? Now it actually had all come to fruition.
3: Well, you know, we, we would seen him drop, but, uh, like I'd mentioned in the earlier podcast, I wanted my dad to be there when I walked up on him and, uh, so we just slipped out and, and, uh, you know, I'd called my dad and, and then we needed some, some more better lights for, uh, the recovery to get it on video. And so I called my partner and good friend, uh, Kevin Boyer to, uh, bring us some, some lights for videoing. And so we was back at my house waiting, uh, for everybody to show up, to go on in on the recovery. And actually, by the time we went on the, in on the recovery, there was about eight guys there, uh, <laughs> A good friend of mine, Alan Foster, uh, I've talked about a lot in, in past podcasts and such, uh, um, a mentor of mine when I was young, uh, kind of, yes, I, I say all the time, he saved me about 10 years on the learning curve as far as hunting big bucks and, well, he showed up, so he was along and then my dad was there and, and, uh, Kevin Boyer, uh, my partner was Re- in real world was there. So, you know, we walked up there and it didn't take us any time to find him. And, uh, you know, my dad was kind of a little bit reluctant to be the first one to go up there, but I drug him up there and him and I grabbed that, that rack about the same time and picked it up and uh, it was pretty awesome. I, I mean, uh, I said on the interview in the blind, right. After I shot the buck that I'd waited 13 years for that to happen. And what I meant by that was back in 2004, I'd shot my first 200 inch buck and I'd been on a quest to do it again, but I wanted to, the first one was not on video or anything. And. I want to do it again. I want to do it on video. And, uh, you know, I, for 13 years, I'd been stomping the woods trying to find another 200 inch buck and came close a couple of times. I, I found a couple that were well into the one nineties, but uh, other hunters ended up shooting them before I did. Um, but you know, when it all came together, you know, Kyle Harmon said, he says I don't think I've ever seen you get worked up while you're hunting. And, and uh, but he said, you was worked up on that one, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and I was a little bit. I mean, it was almost like shooting my first deer again. So wow. It was a pretty sweet feeling.
1: Yeah, I bet. So now that you accomplished this quest that you've been on for 13 years, is it, is it everything you thought it would be that you hoped it would be? Do you feel like the sense of um, fulfillment that you thought you would at accomplishing this goal? Or I don't know. I mean, where's your head at now that you've, that you've checked this off the list that you've been trying to achieve for so long?
3: Well, it's really a mix of emotions. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously happy and elated I did it. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's almost a sense of uh, regret that Smokey's not there to chase anymore because, I, I mean, I've been anxiously checking trail cameras for the last few years, looking for his picture. You know, in the summertime when I, put the cameras out for the first time. I can't wait to get Smokey's pictures for that, that year to see if he's put on any antler growth over the previous year. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of regret that that's gone. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I don't feel any different, uh, than I did before. I'm still the same person I was. And, um, you know, I think I, I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, I, I, I didn't even measure, uh, the rack until this morning, which is, uh, about, well, almost 48 hours later. Um, and I, I'd almost resigned myself to the fact that he might not make 200 inches. Uh, and you know, he was going to be what he was going to be. I wasn't going to stretch the tape or anything or make him something. He wasn't. It's, if he made it, he did. If he didn't, he didn't, you know, it was, was going to be no different. Uh, so it's it's just kind of hard to describe,
1: yeah, yeah, I can't imagine but uh i'm very I'm very happy for you, Don. I'm glad that uh, the hunt came together and and I know that feeling of, of hunting a deer for multiple years and and finally be able to walk up on him and have that mix- that mixture of excitement and gratitude, and yet also you know some some sadness or remorse, knowing that deer won't be. Won't be around any longer to to kind of fill your mind with dreams and to think about every time you head into the woods. So, uh, I hope there's another one soon for you, Don, to get you excited. I'm sure there will be. And, uh, man, just want to thank you again for sharing the story with us now. And, uh, congrats again.
3: Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. And, you know, I appreciate every time you have me on. Um, you know, I, I, every time I'm on one of your podcasts, I just start getting uh, messages on Facebook, people uh, saying how much they loved it and such. And just want to thank you for what you do for the the industry. You know, uh, you bring a lot of uh, people out there and give them a, a platform to, to speak and for the rest of us to learn. And, and, you know, I listen to other people on your podcast, so keep up the great work and I wish you the best of luck this
1: season. Well, thanks so much for saying that Don. I really appreciate it. And, uh, Let's plan on getting on an episode again here soon next time you you kill one of these big old giants and you can can teach us all, or continue to teach us all how you do it.
3: Well, I'll be glad to get on any time, Mark. You just let
2: me know when. Before we get to our first update, though, let's pause to thank our sponsors at Sitka Gear. And for this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Sitka Ambassador Brandon Neitzel, who tells us about an early season whitetail hunt where everything came together.
4: So every year that I go out hunting, I always try to get a buck early season um i always try to get it in the first week or two so i've actually gotten pretty good at patterning the different bucks and um, this one buck in particular had a split g2 on his left side so it was pretty cool he had a lot of character he was missing his brow turn on the right side um and i had just tons and tons of pictures of him i thought i had him patterned really really well um and i actually had 13 out of 14 days in a row he was in the same location within a half an hour Um, so I wasn't able to hunt on opening day. I had a friend that was getting married that day. Uh, but on the second day I was able to go out to the tree stand. Um, and I actually had a doe and a fawn bust me. I don't know if they caught wind of me or what the deal was, but they took off and I thought the whole night was ruined. Um, but about seven o'clock at night, this buck ended up coming out by himself. He was feeding, and he was feeding along the side of our corn or the soybean field. And he was 50 yards away and, uh, I've been practicing at that distance and beyond and, uh, I thought that was the only chance that I'd get, so I took the shot, and it was a perfect double long shot. You didn't run too far, and that was it for my season. It was opening weekend of archery season, and like I said, that's something I've always wanted to do every year, but definitely doesn't pan out that way. So it was pretty cool having it uh, work out in my favor on that on that particular buck.
2: On Brandon's hunt, he was wearing Sitka's Core Lightweight Hoodie and Equinox Pants. If you'd like to create a Sitka story of your own, or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel visit sitkagear.com. All right. And joining us on the podcast first is Kyle Bennett with QDMA out of Mississippi. Now, Kyle in Mississippi, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to 10? Uh,
5: right now, I think we're at about a, a six for the year at this point in the season in October. We're still in, uh, in, in an early season type pattern. Um, we are still seeing a, a little bit of buck movement, uh, especially in the late evenings on, on food sources and uh, in the mornings also, if you can catch them between uh, bed and food.
2: So, if you are on that early season pattern right now, how far off of like pre rut do you think you guys are?
5: Well, we're kind of in a unique situation in, in the part of Mississippi I hunt in southwest uh, Mississippi where our rut is between uh, Christmas Day and New Year's every year. So our pre-rut typically doesn't kick in until uh, November timeframe, early to mid-November. So for us, most of October and early November is all in uh, a pre-rut type situation. Uh, That puts us probably still three or four weeks from from good pre-rut activity.
2: Well, for this next month or so then, while you're in those early season patterns, what does a typical setup look like for you guys?
5: Right. Uh, We're typically, in the evenings, we're still going to hunt food sources. Uh, These are typically green food plots, Uh, hunt a lot of of native food sources, a lot of uh, white oaks and red oaks that drop throughout the various times. We are hunting a lot of native persimmon, a lot of native honey locusts. All those uh, food sources are great places to catch bucks this time of year. In the mornings, we're typically hunting travel routes between bed and food. Uh, if you can get a few hundred yards off of a big destination type food source, uh, especially somewhere adjacent to some real thick covers, you can uh, catch the bucks coming back from bed and have pretty good success doing
2: that. For this next month, then, while you're in those early season patterns, uh, what are you doing for your trail cameras as well?
5: So uh, my trail cams right now, I recently just pulled off of all my summer-type patterns, which I generally have them on uh, mineral sites and, and uh, protein feeder sites. I just pulled the, all of those off in the summer, that's where I uh, take inventory of all my deer and move them all to travel routes and uh, food sources. The travel routes are between bed and food, typically close to the food source. If I can find an area where the deer typically enter a food source, that's a great way to a great area to place a camera, and also directly on the food sources. Um, That way, I can get a good idea of at what time they are hitting the food source, and also it helps me to take stock in which bucks are entering the fields, which bucks are entering which fields at what time and where.
2: Well, is it too late then for bachelor groups? Or are you still seeing some bucks grouped up then at this point?
5: Right. Because of our, uh, our later rut schedule in other parts of the country, this time of year we typically do still have bachelor groups. Uh, in fact, I just saw a bachelor group over the weekend.
2: Well, going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think the buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Mississippi?
5: Uh, we actually just got a, a really huge cold front uh, for this time of year. So I would bump the activity, especially in the evenings, up to at least a 7.5, maybe an 8. Uh, the temperatures dropped probably 10 to 15 degrees off of the average temps that it has been the past couple of weeks.
2: All right, Kyle. Well, good luck with those early season bucks and hope to hear from you later in the year. Fantastic. Thank you. And joining us on the line next is Jake Greggis a guide for Daybreak Ranch in South Dakota. Now, Jake, in South Dakota, what would you say the deer activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10?
6: I would say it's somewhere around uh, 5 or 6, with some days uh, maybe up around 8 or 9 even.
2: And so what has been making some of those days better than the others?
6: Well, going back about a week ago, um, 4 or 5 days after the full moon we had, Some fronts come through that, um, you know, high pressure days and then chilly nights. It got down to 17 right here where we're at one evening and uh, deer were coming out of the woodwork those days. Um, But with some warmer weather in and out of those days, uh, some days are just better than others.
2: Well, Jake, living in the heart of uh, egg land there, how do you think harvest has been affecting deer patterns so far, and how do you think it's going to affect deer patterns going forward?
6: I don't think it's affected much yet. Guys are just wrapping up harvesting soybeans right now. Uh, I know some guys are starting on corn and sunflowers here. So in the next week or two, there'll be some big changes. Uh, Deer are really spread out right now, living pretty much, well, I should say spending most of their days in those standing crops. And once those are harvested, uh, I think it's going to really um, dictate where the deer spend their time. So you're going to see deer going from these crop fields to spending most of their time in farmyards and shelter belts. And, and even, you know, big bucks will probably even uh, head for these patch weed patches in the middle of the open prairie. You know, some wild sunflowers or kosher weed. So um, yeah, it'll be some big changes here once these crops start rolling out.
2: Now, are you personally or any of the clients uh, have they been hunting any mornings yet, or has it been pretty much strictly evenings up until this point?
6: Yeah, both actually. Uh, typically, earlier in the year, you'd think you just want to hunt evenings, but with the right conditions, and we've had some pretty good days for cooler weather, especially in the morning frost on the ground. Um. We got a lot of places we can get um, kind of in between where the deer are making their rounds at night and headed back to headed back to cover in the morning, and, and we can
5: be in the right place
6: at the right time in the morning to intercept them. So um, deer activity has been actually pretty good in the mornings as well as the evenings. Um, some of those days when it was really chilly, the bucks were moving actually really late. I mean, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, and some of the big bucks were still still visible and making their way back to the bed.
2: Now I know you run a number of trail cameras there. And what have those been telling you lately? Are there still a lot of bucks that are moving, you know, in the middle of the night or have you been getting better movement as we've gotten deeper into October?
6: Uh, Yeah, they're, they're moving a lot at night, but they're all, um, like I said, a little bit ago, they're coming from what I gather, they're, they're coming out of these crop fields in the evening and they're making their way, whatever distance, uh, up to a few miles, to trees, wherever there's trees, you know, groves, farmyards, and they're they're really starting to to scrape and rub on everything. So, um, I mean, there's apple trees in the backyard, and that's just covered with scrapes underneath it. Um, so they're they're doing a lot of that at night, but once these these crops come out, and they're forced to spend more of their time closer to the, where those scrapes and rubs are uh i think they'll be doing that you know more more killable times of the day
2: well we are coming up quickly here on south dakota's pheasant Oprah and living in the pheasant capital of the world how do you think that's going to change things for you in, in deer hunting wise
6: it always makes it a little tougher uh, it pushes deer around you know if you if you have a big deer pattern and Uh, pheasant hunting goes on anywhere near where he's at it could definitely spoil that for you Uh, on the other hand it can push in deer from neighboring properties and and all of a sudden you might have uh, a big deer that you you never knew was around and all of a sudden he's he's the deer you're hunting so um it's good and bad but it'll definitely push deer around and that along with the harvest getting rolling good here in the next week or two Uh, there'll be a lot a lot of changes going on
2: all right jake well going forward in this next week or so what do you think the deer activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten
6: well i think the bucks are getting more and more ramped up every day uh looks like we have a few warm days here and then uh, after this weekend the 21st i think it starts to cool down and the extended forecast shows every day getting a little cooler from there i believe so um the hunting should actually get pretty good. The bucks are gonna, the well, deer in general, and the bucks, they're gonna get kind of pinched down. Right now, they're still spending most of their time where they did all summer in these standing crop fields. And they're gonna start getting pinched down where, where you're, you're hunting any of these places that they are rubbing and scraping and spending more of their time now. Um, you'll be able to catch them doing those, you know, those activities maybe morning and evening and then also on their way to food sources from there. So in my mind, they kind of do the opposite. They're going to end up doing the opposite of what they're doing now. Now they spend their time in the standing crops. In the evenings, they head for for cover and trees and snoop around. And then now I think um, things will kind of reverse, and they'll spend their time in more of those farmyards and cover and make their way in the evenings to food sources, and, and the bucks will be checking out does. Uh, as we get in the later October here. So going forward in the next week or two, I would say the the hunting's only going to get better. It, it, it'll probably be probably an eight or a nine.
2: All right, Jake. Well, thanks for joining me and good luck to you and your clients going forward.
6: Thanks for having me. Take care.
2: Before we get to our next call though, let's pause to thank our sponsors at Whitetail Properties. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Adam Hayden, a land specialist out of Ohio and Adam is going to be giving us some tips on how to fix target panic.
7: Well, there's numerous things you can do to get over target panic. I mean, at one point or another, I feel like just about every archer out there has struggled with this in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, I think it'd be best just to talk about my experiences. Um, You know, I've shot competitively for several years on a national level. And one thing that helped me and helps me uh, to continue to stay ahead of it um, is just doing some blank bell shooting. And by that I mean, you know, it's as simple as hanging a target without a face on it. Or you may, may, maybe you just put a blank face up. Uh, and you're not really paying attention to your pins. You're not paying attention to where your pins sit. You're not even paying attention to the movement or anything. The only thing that you're trying to do is make a good shot. And by that I mean you're not punching the trigger. You're not flinching. You're just letting the pin kind of just settle in. You're wanting it to steady up. You're relaxed. And you're pulling through the shot, you're following through, and there's, you know, it's just one of the numerous things that you can do. Um, and I typically do that with a back tension release. Um, you know, I, over the past couple of years, I have began shooting with a wrist strap release uh, while hunting. Um, but att- occasionally, I still, uh, I still use a back tension as well. Um, but again, just just also something that helps me is switching back and forth between releases. You know, I'll shoot a wrist strap for a while, I'll shoot a thumb button for a while, I'll shoot a wrist strap for a while, and that helps me to kind of stay ahead of it.
2: If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Adam currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash Hayden. That's H-A-Y-D-E-N. All right, and joining me on the line next is Nick Kravitz from Pennsylvania with Flatline Whitetails. Now, Nick, in your state of Pennsylvania, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10?
8: I'm going to say probably a 6 at the moment and possibly 7. And the reason I would say that would be is because recently we had a cold front come in on the 16th. And I think that just increased the buck activity.
2: Well, for those of you who don't follow Flatline Whitetails, go and check them out uh, because three people on Nick's team, including Nick, just tagged out on some awesome bucks. So I'm surprised to hear you say, Nick, that it's only a six or seven, but what did those setups look like uh, for you guys to tag three bucks on the evening of October 16?
8: Well, we actually had two similar setups myself and actually my brother was the other one that shot a buck. We were both hunting cornfields and um, Brooke Williams, our neighbor, she was actually hunting in Oak Ridge and that's pretty much what sealed the deal for us. They were up on their feet early in daylight hours and they were just hitting the food sources,
2: man. And, and those food sources, um, it sounds like are as diverse as corn and acorns right now, or they were mostly focused on acorns.
8: Well, where Tyler and I were hunting, um, it's kind of like, there's only corn and where Brooke was hunting, there's a lot of acorns. She's hunting more of like a mountain buck and Tyler and I were hunting more of, uh, like a farmland agricultural buck.
2: And so you don't think, had you not had that cold front that you'd have seen those deer?
8: Um, judging by the way it's been the past couple of weeks, it's been super warm. And I really think like, and I'm talking like 70s, 80s, it's been miserable, sweating to get to your tree stand, almost not even worth going out. I mean, because you're just going to be pressuring your stands and the fact that this cold front rolled in and it dropped down into like almost freezing temperatures um, was just the ticket. I'm 100% sold on it. I mean, there's living proof of it.
2: Speaking of that buck, what is your history with him? Did you know this deer was around or have you seen him in the past? Actually, it's
8: a funny story about that after tyler and i approached this deer and we realized you know what i had done and we gave it a good look we kind of looked at each other and said you know what that's actually a buck we called slingshot from a couple years ago um two or three years ago we had got pictures of him as a two and a half year old and then the next year we had pictures of him on the trail camera as a three and a half year old and then he disappeared the last couple years and then we hadn't even seen him on camera I went in there actually the night before to hunt a different buck and sure enough, this slingshot came out, came out of the blue. Don't know where he was.
2: Well, are you seeing much yet for pre-rut sign as far as scrapes, rubs or any chasing?
8: We do notice they seem to be running their scrapes and checking them and definitely this cold front had them up on their feet and I think they were checking their scrapes a little more in the daylight hours and we're seeing, you know, quite a few rubs. I mean, there were some nice rubs around where I killed my buck and it's just, it seems like things are starting to turn on a little bit, but I mean, we still got a couple of weeks till it's really money
2: time. So all three of you with flatline whitetails that were hunting, you guys were all hunting evening setups. Have you been hunting any mornings yet up until this point?
8: I did hunt a couple of mornings. Um, I didn't have the sightings that I would have liked to have seen. I mean, most people aren't hunting mornings that much in the early season, but I like to get out a few times here and there due to my work schedule. But yes, we were all three of us hunting evening sets, and it seems like the evening sets have been the tickets so far this year.
2: All right, well, going forward, Nick, in this next week or so, what do you think the buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Pennsylvania?
8: I would say it's probably going to stick around the same, if not drop a couple, because I did hear, I mean, it's going to get a little bit warmer again, and uh, I just think that's going to deter them a little bit, but... Uh, I think it's going to probably remain around a six or a seven for the next couple of days. Yep.
2: All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Nick, and congrats on the awesome buck.
8: Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. You know, God is good.
2: All right. And joining me on the line next is Josh McDaniel of Indiana with Realtree. Now, Josh in Indiana, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to 10?
9: I'm looking at, uh, probably about a four out of 10 right now. It's, uh, it's pretty slow here. We just come out of a nice little front that um, that was kind of that last little front. I feel like of the, of the early season that uh, if you needed to get on one to get on him, then it looks like it's going to warm back up on us a little bit. So it's just, uh, they're tough right now. It's um, deer movements pretty slow. It's uh, we've got a mass, we've got a bumper crop on acorns right now. So uh, they're pretty much laying in their food all day. They don't really have a need to get up super early and, course it's not been quite cold enough so right now at this moment it's, it's pretty slow man it's
2: not real good well those hunters who are finding success uh what kind of tactics are they using right now
9: oh uh, right now you know we had pretty good luck last week uh on that first little little front of the early season there uh if you're in on tight on food uh if you got a nice little cutaway kill plot somewhere that's half acre, three, you know, an acre somewhere that, uh, you're right on their bed where they're not going far. You know, they're, you're getting a lot of good daylight pictures morning and evening where, you know, you're right there. Um, those guys are doing pretty good. Probably if, if that bucks, um, showing any kind of daylight activity at all, or if he's showing up right, you know, last light or first light in the morning and last light in the evening and you get a little cold front and those bucks right now are a lot of guys are shooting, but they're far and few between right now. I mean, there's, if you got, Fifteen target bucks, or after you know, two of them might be showing anything like that. Um, and like I said, we just just kind of come out of that this last little front, and it's going to start warming back up on us. So it's definitely slowing down right for what I call the wall period there.
2: So it sounds like Josh that you have just not been very aggressive at all, unless you get the right weather. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, we've
9: we got a little aggressive this last week. We killed a nice, uh, we killed six and a half year old buck. We've been after. He, uh, but it was, it was a perfect scenario. Like when you have the perfect storm, I don't mind getting a little aggressive. We had, uh, been waiting on a North wind and we put in this, uh, kill plot about, a, I don't know, three quarters of an acre size. And I have a two acre lake, a real long lake that kind of comes up to it. And we literally got in a boat, at the south end of it and just our way all the way up to the plot. Almost. We literally have like 30 yards and then we're in the set and it's down in like a little bowl, So we come up out of the, out of the lake and, uh, we're in our set. So that was about the most aggressive i get for the most part we're sitting on edges and like i said with these these acorns like they are it's hard to dive off in there uh, without disturbing much so we kind of had to sit back and serve and we've just not had much luck everything's a lot of does a lot of little bucks but um and some of the scrapes and are starting to pop up like typical you know but um nothing nothing real aggressive
2: yet for sure we just referenced, uh, you know, doing a lot of observing right now. And so, what are you doing with your trail cameras? Are you changing anything now going into this lull period?
9: Yeah, yeah, this is about that time. I'm I'm pulling all my cameras off of uh, a lot of my food that I had, uh, just because a lot of it's just is all drying up. Beans are done turning on us. Corn, uh, especially right here, Southern Indiana, we're getting uh, everything's getting picked, everything's getting harvested. So now what we're doing is a lot of these scrapes are starting to pop up. And uh, what we'll go in, we'll do is refreshing those, or uh, we'll go into a, a historical spot that normally always has a lot of big scrapes on it. And I'll go ahead and start opening those up and making mock scrapes, and we'll go ahead and start getting our cameras put on those. And then, you know, a lot of time it'll be nighttime right now, but it's just giving me an inventory on uh, what's in the area, uh, just kind of getting revved up into that next phase here before long. And, uh, you know, and if we get a front here moving forward, uh, during that law period there, uh, you could still get one killed. And uh, if you get anything coming in, get any pictures of anything coming in, like I said, right at last light, you get them on the front, you might be like getting killed. But, yeah, right now it's starting to get that exciting time for us. We're starting to get that uh, those first good cameras from one, that inventory of the year uh, going into
2: the you know the pre-rut. So. Well, going forward then in this next week or so, Josh, what do you think the buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh,
9: man, I've uh, not looked too far ahead on the weather, because weather trumps everything right now. So I don't want to give it too low a number. I'll, I'll go another four probably moving forward. But if we can get – the guy can get one that he's got pretty patterned right now, uh, as far as it, at least that at last light or first light in the morning, if, uh, if the guy can get a good front right now, um, he can still get one killed. It's not, the, it's not the end of the world, but that weather is that weather makes uh, makes a big deal on that. But right now, moving forward, I'm not real – optimistic right now matter of fact right now it's about the time we like to go and start harvesting some does um just to kind of knock the dust off and uh and got to get ready for that that next phase there but yeah four out of ten probably is what i'd say
2: all right josh well thanks for joining me and good luck going forward all right thanks buddy and that concludes this week's episode of wired Hunts rot radio good luck to everyone out there who's taking advantage of some gun seasons that are starting to open as well as those of you who are going to be taking advantage of of the cold front that's moving through next week. It is almost the 20s of October, everyone, and it is getting to be that time of year. Now, we'd like to thank our sponsors at Sitka, Whitetail Properties, Whitetail Institute, Maven, Matthews, Huntera Yeti, and Trophy Ridge. And we thank you guys for listening. As always, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor Adventure won't
1: wait for engine problems.